Welcome back for another episode of Everyday Disciples. My name is Adam. I'm one of the producers and editor of this podcast, and I'm grateful that you're here with your time and attention. Today, we'll be talking about building Christian community and our relationships with non-believing people. We hope that you're blessed by these conversations today, and if you haven't already, please follow or subscribe to this podcast. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Welcome again to Everyday Disciples. We're here today with Adam and Aiden, and we are talking about community today. Um, the The state of, of uh, friendships, of relationships in our world today is maybe not what we really wish it could be. Uh, I know Aiden's going to talk a little bit about that, but uh, just kind of what does is, what is the Bible say about building real, authentic community? Because I think that's something we're all longing for uh, today. And maybe what we have right now in our friendships isn't all that great. So Aiden, maybe tell us just a little bit about kind of where things are right now, as if we didn't know. But According to the Survey Center on American Life, friendship in and among American adults has shifted pretty dramatically over the past 30 or so years. Um, even in the past three years, because of COVID, we saw a lot of people... <clears throat> We saw a lot of people either lose friendships or those friendships kind of faded because of the pandemic and actually having to distance themselves physically and emotionally and how that, that really does have an effect on our the relationships that we, we have, each and every one of us. And so um, among people who lost touch with friends during the pandemic, um, if you look at the age range of young adults, so 18 to 29 years old, uh, 9% of men and 16% of women said they lost touch with most of their friends. 43% of men and 43% of women in the same age group lost touch with a few of their friends, at least. That goes down a little bit for uh, 30 to 49 and 50 to 64. But across the board, everybody was losing probably a few relationships during COVID. And that is yeah, it's kind of, an, I, I don't want to say it was inevitable, but I mean, it was just a, a, a casualty of what happened because of how far apart and because we couldn't see people, we weren't able to stay in contact. It was a difficult time for a number of people. So maintaining those strong friendships you had pre-COVID was definitely going to be more difficult once, you know, lockdowns happened and you weren't able to go outside your house as much. And yeah. yeah. So according to this survey, if we just look at who the primary response or primary person who somebody would go to in any kind of personal problem. Among all Americans, according to the survey, 16% of people would go to a friend, 53% of people would go to a spouse or a partner, 10% would go to their parents, 5% would go to their children, 6% would go to a sibling or another family member, and then 5% was other. So the, the largest population would be somebody who would go to their spouse or to their partner. And it, that is the, the largest population. But if you just look at that number of people who say they would go to a friend and not as just maybe this is a, a different stat because it just says who their primary person is. But 16 percent would go to a friend. If we zoom in a little more just on friendships among American adults from 1990 until 2021, the percentage of Americans who say that they have no personal or close friends in 1990 was 3 percent. In 2021, it's 12%. So that number has quadrupled in 30 years. Um, if we go to the other side of the spectrum, so in 1990, 
Uh, 33% of Americans said that they had 10 or more friends. And in 2021, it's 13%. So that has gone down 20%. Um, That is startling, I think. And there's a lot of commentary on there on, you know, how many relationships really can the average adult sustain and how does life impact that? Because you, you know, there's a big shift in, you know, having kids and getting married and that kind of changes your, your life rhythms. But I think there is something to be said on between 1990 and 2021, a lot of different cultural you know, occurrences and a lot of phenomenon have kind of, right. I think, aided themselves I, to the change. I was, was going to say, I, remind me again, you said 1990. And what was the most recent? 2021. Okay, so 2021. So, I mean, like almost smack dab in the middle of that, you've got social media coming into its own, uh, which has changed the the relationship landscape and even just the way we think about and approach relationships. That was in 2008, there. right? Yeah, 2007, 2008. 2008. Yeah, 2007 Twitter, was the least the yeah, so I want to come back to something that you said right away, Aiden. You said that um, these statistical changes were inevitable. Why were they inevitable? I'm, I want to explore and unpack that. Like, what has changed in those 20-odd years or 30-odd years that makes that relationship shift inevitable? Yeah, I, I think the inevitability came during COVID, at least, where when those lockdowns occurred and— a number of people were kind of forced to reckon with where their friendship and friendly relationships were kind of at at that point. You saw a lot of people who during COVID, they were still making the effort of FaceTime calls and reaching out to people and even doing the social distancing, all those parking lot parties where people would open up the trunks of their cars and you'd, ha- you'd have a pizza in each trunk and that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but when you take away your, your regular interactions with people in person, whether it's coworkers or whether it is your community people at church, whether it's somebody you just see on your commute every day or at the gym or a coffee shop, whatever it is that you find yourself inhibiting space very frequently, when that is taken out of the equation and you're left with you are forced to stay at home and you are left to your own devices and left to what you currently have in your relationships, a lot of people probably realized, oh, I don't have nearly as many close friends as I thought I did the results and and I think the reason for that is a number of things but I think that technology probably has something to do with it I think that we and by we I want to talk not on behalf of all young adults but I think my generation is the one who who is really grown up been developed by technology and social media Um, I think that we believe that authentic community can be found anywhere, even online, because we're more likely to find like-minded people across the earth from us um, or across the country, across the state, than we are close to us because we can curate and we can kind of pick and choose the p- people we find clo- closeness with. And that's that's not a bad thing necessarily to find people to have that kind of connection with others you would not interact with had you not had social media as that that connecting point you wouldn't have even known that person existed but i do think that there is a lot to be said about authentic community um, doing life in person together grounded in some kind of communal aspect or location or or something that is is bigger than yourselves something that does uh, bring you together and that you can kind of ground yourselves and that relationship in we've talked a lot about how 
we've seen technology and social media have an effect on friendships. I also think there's something to be said about how we have kind of shifted into a culture of radical individualism where everything is centered around me, myself, and I. How do I get to the next step in my career or in my whatever it is? How do I advance to the next level? How do I, like you said, Matt, the, the personal publishing um, that social media and technology kind of allows to us. Personal publishing is a very poor way to make friends. <laughs> if you are trying to market or advertise yourself or if you are trying to build your brand, you're not going to do a very good job, I think, of developing strong, close, intimate relationships that we were created for. I want to push back at that just a hair, <coughs> only to say that I don't, I don't know that radical individualism is a new thing. Oh, I America yeah. was founded kind of on the principle yeah. of, of radical individualism. I think that's why our ancestors are all here for the most part. A self-made man, that's an American concept. And, and we are we value that here. And I think I think social media just brought that to a a new level for for more people who otherwise may not have been a self-made man in the terms of like the business world uh, or you know economics, finances, but now we can make our image, we can make our name out there. Yeah. And, and when it comes to friendship and community, when we have that mindset of self-made man and of advancing to the next level, your most important relationships are not the people who you are doing life with or life alongside of and that are your your close friends but it's the people that you can gain from in order to reach that next level you desire and that you choose those become your your most important relationships the one that you invest most of your time effort energy finances whatever into and so i think that could be a reason that especially in the age of social media and how technology has kind of forced us to focus more on ourselves, but also just how culture has kind of done that too. Like we're very insulated. If you look at meals nowadays, you can pick up whatever you want in any kind of drive through go to the grocery store and pick all your groceries up. Like you don't have to see another human being if you don't want to. You can just have people throw something into your car and then you go home. We're, we're moving away from community-based living and community-based cities into this more culture of white picket fence, but your white picket fence is more of like barbed wire keeping everybody out. And so it keeps you in. Um, I think there's something to be said just on how urban planning has had an effect on that in the suburbs. And that's a whole other podcast. But I think when we look at the effect it has on us and our friendships, our relationships, that's where we need to, to reframe and rethink, okay, what do we do now going forward that we can rediscover what it means to have close personal intimate friendships and community with the people that we love i'm going to pull the, the pastor card out here and say okay so what does the bible say about this what what uh, as christians what can we offer the world when it comes to relationships because i think one thing we we maybe saw in that uh, survey is that people are losing relationships and and maybe hungering for some more real authentic deep relationships how do we, we as Christians, I think we've got something to say about that. How do we do that? I mean, fortunately for us, we have uh, the example of the Old Testament and New Testament, right? We have um, Old Testament 
it's, it's a basically about a community that wandered around in the desert. Uh, and so there's a lot of um, wisdom to glean from that. And then from the New Testament, we have the, um, the rapidly growing church uh, that we see in Acts. So we have some great examples that we should explore together. Um, I think, uh, so, so uh, when we talk about, like, the Old Testament Israelites, specifically when they're, um, when they're wandering in the desert, what, 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 um, what sort of principles of community or values of community do we see um, in the Bible or, or from their example? Well, one of the things to kind of keep in mind uh, in both the Old and the New Testament, um, in the Middle East, even today, uh, it is a very much more communal society. Um, back in the, the days of, of the Old Testament, uh, so there's a lot of some of those values are just sort of taken for granted by the Bible. Uh, it, it's assuming you're living in family groups in close communities because that's what you do even today there, uh, where we're much more individualistic in our world. Um, and I think in the Old Testament, when you see kind of the picture of community there, it is uh, the family, the, the neighborhood, the, the larger family, extended family groups um, living together, <clears throat> living together, caring for one another. Um, they're, they're supporting one another. It's everything is done together um, and, and even thought of in the sense of I am not an island, but I, like I, I remember reading a, a book, oh gosh, last year, I think, on uh, something to the effect of, of reading or misreading scripture with Western eyes. Great book. Um, and it kind of talked in there about how in, in that society, even today, uh, the idea of simply uh, being like, like marrying who you want to marry is like foreign. Like I want to marry who my family wants me to marry because it matters to them who I marry. And it's, this is like, they wouldn't ever dream of just going out on their own and doing that because I might marry the wrong person. And so I need that community around me to help me with that. It was, it was one of those things that when I heard it, it was kind of like, yeah, that's, that's completely foreign to us here. We want what we want. And I don't care if it doesn't make my family happy or if it upsets somebody. And it's just a complete different mind shift of, I belong to them and they belong to me and we need each other. I think the reason for this too, like you said, Matt, like belonging to another person and belonging to other people is a level of vulnerability that I think we are becoming more and more counter to. Yeah. To, to open yourself up to, to such deep relationships that hurt will inevitably come and like our culture wants, we, we try to run away from any kind of hurt or pain or hardship. And so the easiest thing to do in all honesty for our own sake, I guess, for the sake of your heart so you don't ever get hurt is to not open yourself up and to run away from community because it does require that heart level openness and to be impacted by another. And that's the like the ultimate picture of community is all the way back in the Garden of Eden, where you have Adam and Eve naked in the sense that nothing is hidden from each other. You know, they are they are completely vulnerable with each other. Um, and and it's everything after that is us trying to pick up the pieces and trying to reclaim some of that. Uh, it, it's, it's so hard because the first thing that they want to do once they fall, once they know they've done the wrong thing, 
is they hide and they are now no longer vulnerable. And that's, that is now our default setting is to not be vulnerable anymore. And being vulnerable is hard. And I think an extension, I want to circle back to something Aiden said, an extension of being people in hiding is we know we need other people. And so we commoditize our relationships so that it is no longer about me belonging to somehow belonging to Aiden, me somehow belonging to Pastor Matthew, but I can get something from them and they can get something from me. And the fact is that kind of intimate relationship where you're not seeking something from another person, you're not commodifying it, you're not trying to get, inevitably, like you do receive a lot from those kinds of relationships. If you aren't seeking, it's one of those things, Like if you don't seek, that's when you will find. Um, that's, I think, what we find in close intimate relationship. We find the the companionship for a lifetime. We find people we can rely on and trust, people that we can, can you know, it's you're not seeking all of the the fruit of that, but the fruit is part of the labor you put into to investing in those relationships. Um, it's something I think that we we look at the early church in Acts, uh, especially Acts chapter two, starting in verse forty one. I just want to read um, verses forty one through forty seven real quick. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about three thousand people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I think we we can do a, a pretty good job of idolizing and romanticizing the early church, but I think one of the things that they did super well is if this is one of the, the earliest accounts of what the early church post-Jesus' death and resurrection was about, was fellowship, the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, prayer, meeting in the temples to worship. Like, that's what they did. Um, and it's such a simple way of living and such a simple way of close, tight-knit relationships. And the <coughs> and to think this was Jews, Gentiles, men, women, children, this was everyone who, who was welcome into the family of God was, was now being welcomed in. Like 3,000 people on one of these first days for being baptized, welcomed into the church. And, and that's, it's not, you know, an exact blueprint of what we can do, but we can take so much from that in, in discovering what authentic Christ centered relationship can look like. Mm. Yeah. So what I noticed about that, uh, that verse is that the early church oriented themselves collectively around something uh, around sacred practices. So there was some practical stuff in there too, like they they shared things, they ate meals, which are beautiful things and wonderful things and things we should do. Um, but it sounds like one of the first things they did was orient themselves um, towards Christ together, which is why we need church, which is why we need, uh, you know, f for us, why we need St. Matthew, is because it correctly orients us uh, 
us collectively um, towards um, our Savior uh, and so towards something sacred. Um, and from that orientation, we're able to live out those other values. Um, I, th- I think that I think that the sacred uh, begets the the ordinary, probably in the early church, and, and probably in our own church. It's when we have a high view of God and we have a high view of what He can do in His people that we're able to change our behavior uh, to work together in in good relationship. And I would say, like, as we start to get practical here now with how we can uh, build and experience some of that real authentic community, uh, right on on the back of what you just said about this is why we need church, uh, as the pastor again, um, I'm going to encourage you, like, this, this, is where, this is where we need church, but I'm, I'm going to say something weird, outside of worship. Worship's important, don't get me wrong. Um, but worship is not a great place that hour or whatever together in the service is not a great place to build community necessarily because we're, you don't really have a chance to talk to anybody. You don't have a chance to get to know the people you're worshiping with. It's the before and after. It's the the other things that go on where you can actually like talk to people while you're serving together or in a small group. Uh, those are great places. One of, I think one of the few places in our world today where we actually can come together, uh, you know, rub shoulders with people that we wouldn't maybe necessarily, they're, they're not like our next door neighbors. They're not our family members necessarily, but they're, they are our larger community. And those, those places are starting to be few and far between. And I'll even say that, you know, as a, as a pastor, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've heard from folks uh, from time to time is when they are, when, when they decide to let you know, we're leaving the church, well, we, we just don't feel like we know anybody. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, I would be a wealthy man. And oftentimes, it's the same folks who arrive five minutes late. They're putting their coat on during the last service, and they're out the door right away, and they don't ever come to anything else other than Sunday morning. And I always kind of want to say to them, so maybe this is my chance, uh, how do you expect to get to know people if, if you're only engaging in worship? And even that kind of sparingly or, or, you know, just, just worship, not even the few minutes before and after, uh, how do you expect that to happen? Yeah. That doesn't just magically happen. Mm-hmm. You're speaking to uh, just this tendency maybe in the last, oh, I don't know, maybe 50 years to look at church not as a, a parish from which all of life is centered around. So is a parish model of church. Um, churches, small churches were in neighborhoods, and people came to that place not just on Sunday, but on a Wednesday to have a meal together, um, on a Tuesday to serve um, underprivileged people in, a, in, in that same community. Um, maybe as church leaders, we're a little at fault in that we put so much emphasis on Sunday morning, um, because it is a bulk of what we do, but there's a necessity to have both leaders and lay people understand that uh, the vision here isn't just the hour um, on Sunday morning. Uh, it's the it's the other 167 hours that we get to do community and church together. And I think some of that though is a it's a factor of just our world today. There was less going on 50 years ago. So the church was the center of community life because you didn't have all the other 
competitions for your time where today there's a lot of things vying for our time vying for our attention uh kids weren't involved in as much 50 years ago as they are today uh, where we've got all these evening commitments and weekend commitments and things um and i mean that's that's clearly not going anywhere either in our world today which in my mind i think that that heightens the importance of being connected at church because then we can we can learn how to be in that Christian community and then take that with us to those places. And we can be the church at the soccer field or at the baseball game or wherever we happen to be um, that we're not – when we find ourselves sitting on the bleachers with other parents while something's going on, we can you know engage them in conversation. We can get to know them. Uh, these are people that we're maybe going to see regularly, and we can care about them. Hey, how can I pray for you today? What's what's going on in your life? You don't you, you seem like you might be you know down or whatever today. Like something I can talk to you about or whatever. It's it's a way for us to bring some of that community out of the church walls. If you look at you know just the like the New Testament community, you had the churches that were meeting together, but much of what was going on was happening in homes, and you, so you couldn't get everybody into one person's home. It was kind of a small group sort of a thing that we all met together as the church, but then the church kind of broke out and went to where it lived, and they were the church in those places too. And we can do that same thing today. Aiden, you um during COVID. You lived in a home with how many other guys? Uh, so at the start of COVID, I was a senior in college, and I was living in a house with two other guys, and we had two other friends who lived in an apartment right down the street from us, and we also had three friends living down the street in a different house, and as well as another friend. So there were, there were nine of us who we didn't live all in the same under the same roof, but man, it sure felt like it during COVID because our house was kind of designated as quarantine command center, like ground zero kind of thing. We, I don't think any of us got COVID during that. But that's not the point. The point is um, there's something I think we can learn from college students um, and like the college kind of model of you go and live in these intentional communities for a committed time, four years or however long, and you build these relationships and you invest time in them and you have shared interests and you just spend time with each other. So during you know, COVID, these were friends that I already had for multiple years, but the, the nine of us were just always together pretty much. And I think COVID lent itself well to that because we couldn't see anybody else. We were kind of stuck with each other for better and for worse. And that's the part of, of community, right? right then and there is, you know, you will love each other all the time and you will be very annoyed and frustrated and kind of, you know, I need some distance from you every now and then. Like, like that's just part of community. Like if you're not annoyed with the people you love most, you probably aren't spending enough time with them. Um, and I think it was just such a fruitful time, even during COVID as everything was shut down and locked down, um, where we just each and every day knew what we were going to be doing. We knew, Hey, let's you know eat dinner together these nights. Let's play these games. Let's spend this time together. Let's go on walks. This and it was, it was just such a, a beautiful time for us to really just devote to one another. Um, 
And for all of us, you know, we were followers of Jesus. We would spend our Sunday mornings watching church online. We would uh, pray together. We would read our Bibles together. We would really just devote time and energy into one another. One, because we had to, because we had nothing else to do, but also second, because that was, that, that was what we committed to. Like at the start of COVID, we had to commit, okay, if we're going to see each other every single day, we have to have these rules in place. I think a rule of life is central to almost any community. Um, and we had to have those, okay, like if we're going <laughs> to see each other at all times, we need to know when we need to be going home so that we're not overstaying our welcome and annoying the other people. We need to know, you know, I don't want to get into the whole mask thing. Let's cut this out. Um, and, and even now we all live in different cities. We all are in um, similar stages of life, but some of my friends are married. Some of my friends are living in other states. Um, some people are actually coming to Grand Rapids, which I'm really excited about. People are moving here. And we are all still very close. We get together at least once a year if we can, even though people are in grad school or working full time. Or, um, And it's I, I can kind of look back to the time where we almost lived in a like neo-monastic way during COVID, devoting time to each other and to prayer and to sharing of meals as why we are still as good of friends today as we as we were back then and how we are still just devoted to one another. Um, because we, we were the people that we felt like the Lord had given us during COVID, like during that time of, of quarantine and of lockdowns and of hardship, that these were the people we had. Um, and did we choose them to an extent? Yes. But at other times it was, that was who was around. That's who our community kind of had to be. And we were going to, to live into the, the calling that God had given us in that season of loving each other well and spending time together. And, and the fruit of it is still, around now to this day um these are the friends i I anticipate i will have the rest of my life um god willing and i'm so thankful for that i I have the advantage of this actually being played out in my neighborhood um there's probably about five or six families with young children in our neighborhood and we uh all during covid were just walking around the streets and realized hey we we might as well uh you know become friends and so we did it uh then and there um one of the practical things that me and the the guys do on our street is we share our tools um, because we don't all have a bunch of them. So I know that my friend Jordan has a table saw. Uh, I know that um, my friend Carl has a, a wealth of a wealth of yard tools. Um, I know that, um, yeah, that I can count on those guys to have those things. I got, I'm the one with the the big 14 foot ladder or whatever, and they always get it out of my. I shed. It's just a. It's just a real practical thing, and it's something about just the real basic trusting somebody with one of your like your stuff, like that actually um, forms a relationship. Um, and another beautiful thing is that we are we're parenting our children, you know, together now. Is that not whoever's whichever parents are staying at home aren't left alone that during the summer even you know they were with each other so much that it didn't feel the same burden to be a stay-at-home parent for many of them. Um, so we're, we're really blessed in that. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that it's people that are in my neighborhood because these weren't people that I chose by any means. They're just, uh, you know, the people that are there. Um, and it challenges me because they are not all 
followers of Jesus. Um, they don't all share the same political opinions or the same values even. Um, but one of the principal values that we share together is we know that being neighbors is important um, and good, so let's explore that. Well, I think what both of you kind of have described there, uh, in a sense, is finding your tribe. Um, you know, the, the importance of whether that's, that's folks who are geographically close, people who are, uh, you know, friends that you're going to live you know, real close under the same roof or, or uh, close by, uh, finding that, that group of people that comes around us to support one another, to care for one another in practical ways, uh, as well as relational, emotional spiritual ways as well. That's all important stuff. And I think that's those those kinds of self-giving, selfless communities, that's what Jesus is after uh, in his word. That's what we see pictured throughout scripture in the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's not being a receiver, but being a giver. And in the process, you will receive a lot. And so thanks, guys. I really appreciate the, the conversation here about uh, living in a Christian community and, and how do we have that kind of authentic community around us. Well, in our last segment, we uh, talked a little bit about community uh, together, authentic community, and how we as Christians can do that. And I'm sitting here now with Lori, CJ, and Stephanie uh, to kind of talk a little bit about you know, that, that authentic community we may find ourselves in, um, as, as Aiden and Adam talked about it, that might involve some folks who aren't necessarily Christian. Uh, maybe it's our neighbors who don't go to church, don't believe or believe something uh, very different from us. Um, as we get into these authentic relationships, it's not limited just to being with other Christians. How do we handle those kind of relationships? Do, maybe first of all, do you guys have relationships with people, friendships or otherwise, uh, with people who don't share the same faith as you? What's that like? Well, for me personally, I, I feel it's pretty easy. Our kids go to a Christian school. I work at a church. If you're part of a small group from a church, I think for Christians in general, and I'm talking for majority of the Christians I know in this area, I feel very few have a close um, relationship with people who don't live without the grace of Jesus and the truth of great Jesus. I mean, for most of the people I know in the area, their close-knit community is their um, Christian community. And I think that's, that's the issue of, I love Greg Finke. I love when he talked about joining Jesus on his mission. And he always talked about like, who's your one you, you have to seek out, you have to find somebody and not like you're checking them off. Cause I think Christians sometimes can find like a to-do list. <laughs> like you're checking them off. I'm going to find somebody you don't believe in Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you everything you need to know about Jesus. No, but find your one. Um, he talks a lot about like sowing seed and not every seed's going to take. So find one who's one person that like maybe somebody that CJ painted with that you have a connection with, you share a sport thing with, you both love glasses of wine. You both love find that one and literally just start to have a relationship or friendship with them just start hanging out with them with no goal no to-do list no accomplishment just get to know them and I think that's something that we need to do more we tend to I think Adam has said that before but disciple disciples so even as church workers are we looking more at our organization um, you know accomplishing programs and things versus helping people just meet people, get to know people outside of your circle. 
Um, for me, I guess I would say there's been a couple instances. Um, I had a close friend who I don't know that I necessarily know what her relationship was with Jesus before we became friends, but I do know um, that she was at least open to the idea because I invited her and her family to come to church, and they did, and it ended up um, well, it ended up with my husband and I becoming godparents for her children. So that was like a positive. Um, but I also have family members who are not Christian or maybe they were Christian, but they've kind of fallen away from that. Um, and I find that a lot harder to what to talk about that with them. Well, for some of our friends who aren't Christians, people we've met on sport teams, things down the road, a lot of them I think actually question and we've kind of joked about it Um but it's unfortunate. Like, why would they even want to be Christian? Like, we live our lives. Do we really live our lives like Jesus is life changing? You know, if we believe a life without Jesus is no life at all, but then we don't live that way. That's not um, uh, it just Christianity doesn't always look appealing or exciting. Like, why would I want to become? Why would I want to follow somebody like Christ when that doesn't seem to make that much of a difference in your life, too? So I think even just how we live and maybe just talking to someone without right away feeling like we have to invite them because I think that's the other thing. They feel like we want to change them and fix them and the Christian's coming to fix them. Well, we need fixing too. And I think that's the approach that a lot of people take and that can be too. We, we often come off as like we're trying to sell Jesus and, and, and make that sales pitch about how great Jesus is. And yeah, you'll come to my church and, and just, if we can get you in the door of the church, that'll take care of it. And that's, that's not how that works at all. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, give and take in relationships. It's not uh, the goal for Christians in any kind of a relationship, believer or non-believer, is not just to add more butts in the seats at church. Uh, it, it's about more people coming to know who Jesus is. And that sometimes that's a lifetime journey. That's not just a, a here, let me hand you an invite card to church. It's more than that. It's doing life together. Yeah, letting the Holy Spirit do the work. You know, I think he always says that too. It's above your pay grade, right? So you're not Jesus. You're not saving people. So let the Holy Spirit do the work. Just get to know them. And just get to know them, know their name. I go to Speedway like every day. Like get to know the person that's always checking you out with your Diet Mountain Dew and call my name. You know, you can start with those conversations too, so... When it comes to the relationships that we start to build with people, um, how, how can we talk about our faith? I think that's one thing that Christians are always kind of puzzled around. Like, how do, we, how do we start to just naturally bring our faith into that relationship without it being, okay, let me sit you down and give you the Jesus spiel now, um, you know, talk you through the the salvation pathway or whatever it is that we want to, to use to like, okay, now you're going to come to Jesus. Like, how do we, in natural ways, how do we bring Jesus with us into those relationships? I just try to smile um, <clears throat> and just take that joy that the Holy Spirit gives and make it contagi- contagious. Um, even through like chaotic times, just smile, have a good time, know that you are a child of God and that you are loved. And I feel like people will ask you, why, why are you happy that some bad just happened or why, why are you willing to help right now? We can go do this. And I feel like 
just like little, like us as Christians, we, we, not everybody, but I feel like the Christian community gets a bad rap for just telling everybody what they can't do and shaming non-believers a little bit and just saying, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you better repent quickly. Um, but we need to talk about like the joys of the promise, the salvation that comes with it, the grace and the mercy that comes with Christ and, and make it more appealing, like Lori said, and just allow the spirit to work, drop seeds everywhere. And hopefully something grows. And CJ does smile all the time. And that's a huge thing. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, CJ, my kids love you. We love, I mean, he does. He just have a presence of joy and it shows, it shows that so, Jesus. So we're recording this on a, on a Thursday and just, just yesterday, Wednesday, uh, CJ's car was hit in the middle of the night, parked on the side of the road. And he's telling us about, you know, well, got to get a new car and just, yeah, smiled. It's fine. We'll figure it out. And it's like, yeah, you know, just that I think now you're doing that in the church office here. So, I mean, like we, we all see Jesus in you, but I hope that, you know, if you're telling other people a similar kind of a story in a different setting, like, yeah, people can see Jesus through the way we handle, especially I think bad stuff in our life, the tough stuff that we go through. And we all go through tough stuff and, and how we handle that, how we talk about the, the hope that we have, the, the joy that we have, um, not from our circumstances, but from Jesus, that, that truth in our life, I think, is it speaks powerfully to other people's lives. I think it's just important to have an authentic relationship. So instead of even coming at another person with the thought of, are you a believer? Because I want to make you a believer. Just, hey, there's another human being that it might be nice to have a friendship with. Maybe they're a person that smiles too or... Like Gloria had said earlier, you know, maybe we share something in common and without the agenda, because I feel like people can sniff an agenda out like immediately. So without an agenda, just love other people that are around you. And I do believe the Holy Spirit will work in that. And, um, you know, when they do go through things, I know my husband actually does a really good job because he works in a very non-Christian environment. And he often will say to them, can I pray for you? Or, or he'll say, I'll be praying for you. And even if they say, well, I'm not a believer, he'll just say, that's okay, I am. I'll still be praying for you. Um, so I think it's just forming. And they know that he genuinely cares for them, regardless of what they believe. And I think that's what's super important is, do they feel loved and cared for? And if they don't, then it doesn't matter how awesome Jesus is. They're not going to be ready to listen to that. So there's a, uh, a famous quote that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I don't think he actually said it, but it's uh, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And I, I, I've used that in sermons before to say I don't think I agree with that because I think it, to preach the gospel, to, to tell people about Jesus— you kind of actually have to say Jesus. You kind of have to use words. Otherwise, you are just— being a nice person, and anybody can be a nice person, uh, but we've got Jesus, and we want people to know about Jesus, and so you gotta you gotta say that at some point in time. So, in our relationships with people who don't believe, how do you how do you bring that up? How do you how do you extend and at what point even do you extend an invitation to talk about it? 
Well, as a church worker, it's a little easier at times because once they find out what you do, you know, what, what do you do for a living? Hey, I'm a children's minister. Okay, so that kind of opens the door. Um, I think for other people, though, you just tell your story and try to include Jesus because he should be a big part of your life-changing story, uh, whatever that could be. Um, I find that people, once you've established a relationship and a friendship, and then they trust you to invite questions. Um, and don't try to win the argument and don't disagree with them when they say, hey, my experience with Christianity has been that. Nope, nope, that's not all Christians. That, you know, well, okay, just listen to them, understand their perspective. Remember that they're created in God's image uh, when you're talking to somebody too and invite questions because I think people have a lot of questions. And especially if you're living the life, like we talked about CJ smiling, like there is something different about CJ. Why is that, CJ? Why are you a young man who loves Jesus and love others. Like it's just clear and you'd want to know and invite questions. And then when you don't know them, say you don't know them and let's figure that out together. And that can be a great way to open God's word um, together too. And then, wow, boom, let the Holy Spirit do its work. And I find that humility is just a real plus with people. Real plus because I feel they, they don't feel Christians are that. Right or wrong. Um, so then when you open that door, that helps. I love that. I mean, how often do Christians get portrayed as we just have all the answers and we're just going to, you know, shut you down if you've got any kind of uh, objection? You know, I I think even being being upfront and honest with your own questions, your own struggles that like, yeah, you know what? I've wondered about that too, and I don't have the answer for that. And maybe we talk about that some more. Maybe we we uh, read some scripture, or we kind of dig into that a little bit together. That's a great way to to start that conversation. So is there um, at any point where you should not necessarily have a relationship with a non-believer? Like if you share the gospel and they reject Christ to you, is there any point to move on or is should we just continue to work on that person? Um because I know Paul, like we said, Paul's kind of bold. Paul says, don't be equally yoked with unbelievers. Um, he goes into saying what light can exist in darkness. And I think it depends on what you mean by you know, being in relationship with an unbeliever. You know, so if, if that's like in a, a marriage relationship, that's going to be a challenge. You know, being, being tied to somebody who you're going to have a very different uh, outlook on the world with that's a that's an uphill battle. That's a struggle, um, but friendships. I mean, I think we can still be friends with people who hold different beliefs or even object to our beliefs. Um, like we said, they're not projects. They're not uh, somebody that we're trying to sell something to. And who knows? Maybe over you know an extended friendship, a lifetime of friendship, as they see you love them because God loves them. Not because they could maybe be a person who could come to your church one day, but God loves them regardless. So if you love them like God loves them, I don't know what that'll do to somebody's heart over time. I feel like that uh, the key phrase in there is like equally yoked, right? So that bond of marriage, you know, equally yoked as opposed to a friendship where I can still be friends. You might not be in my inner circle of friends where I'm going to, you know, maybe they are, but confide or be 
that more equally yoked, but still, yeah, love on them. Still go out to dinner, those sorts of things where you can, um, yeah, still have a relationship and. I think lots of times for Christians, it's trying to find one or two friends that aren't. Um, but I think CJ's question is valuable because if if your friendship base group <laughs> is mostly non-Christians, um, and we see that a lot, I know um, a lot of parents talk about kids going away to college or different things happening, key moments in their life, and then losing a Christian base. I mean, those are, I do think you're... I think where you're going is a valuable, you know, it's still important to surround yourself with Christian community and God's word. Um, Jesus did. <laughs> so, I mean, if you follow the way of Jesus and join him on his mission, he was spent a lot of time with the father, a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in God's word, surrounding himself with his disciples and his group, and then was able. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember too. Yeah. I was just talking to a young woman from our church who had, um, you know, moved to another state, went to college, and she wasn't too concerned about, um, you know, building that Christian community. Um, she was in an area of study where there weren't a lot of Christians, and she said that was fine through college. But now that she's um, going to put down some roots there, she said, I want to build a life here that I want to live, and now I'm looking for that strong Christian community. So, um you know, just knowing that that's an important part of what you need in your life. And yes, I can still have friends who are non-believers or whatever, but they're not my inner circle. They're, you know, I need to, she needs to look for those people who are like-minded that she can, um, that can build her up and she can build them up. I love, I mean, Adam was the one a couple of weeks ago, were you the one that talked about the agricultural yeah, and I never really thought about that, but it's so true. And then I kept going back to the seeds, right? Like, you throw out the seeds, right? So you don't give up on someone if they, you throw out the seeds. I never really know which one's going to take, you know, and that's the thing. You throw out the seeds, you keep watering the seeds. You, you don't know. I mean, the person who might be suddenly coming to your church, it isn't even really take, it's just so hard for us to know, I think. And I, not that that's being recorded, but for me, that's the, the whole seed and agricultural, like I wouldn't give up on someone because you, Sometimes the people that are the most defiant, the Peters, <laughs> the Saul who turned to Paul, those are the greatest. Because when they when they experience God in a whole different way, those are going to be the people that are on fire for Jesus, bringing other people into their story too. Well, I think the big takeaways here today are you know having those intentional relationships with folks around us, uh, loving them not as a project, uh, but loving them as people. Uh, loving them as God loves them, and just inviting them into life with us and caring for them, loving them, regardless of whether or not they ever come to church with us. Uh, certainly we hope to see them in heaven someday, but that's up to God working in their heart. Um, that's not, as, as you said from Greg Finke, uh, that's above our pay grade. So good discussion, guys. Thanks for this today. Thanks for listening to Everyday Disciples. Everyday Disciples is part of the online ministry of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids. We're striving to be followers of Jesus wherever we are, and we hope you'll join us on that journey. If you found this podcast helpful in your spiritual journey, we'd be honored if you would rate us and review us wherever you listen. It helps people find us and get the good news about Jesus out there to the world. If you've got questions or suggestions for things that you'd like to hear about on Everyday Disciples, let us know with an email to media 
at stmatthewgr.com.